Good morning. My name is Imani, and our scripture reading today is from Matthew 22 to 33. If you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed a crowd. After he had dismissed them, the crowd went up on the mountain. He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Bless the reading of his word. Please have a seat. Thanks, Imani. Well, again, good morning and welcome. If you didn't get my name, my name's Derwin, and uh, it's uh, great to be together, especially when our kids do what they do. Weren't they amazing today? Love uh, the next generation. We're a church that cares about the generation and want to see them grow up and, and flourish in every way, and especially in their faith. Uh, we're still in this series. We're not doing an Advent message per se this morning. We're in the series in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, let's just pause for a moment and invite God to speak to us today. Would you do that? Uh, Lord, um, come. You always come with invitation. I pray we'd hear yours to us today. Help us to respond. Help us to have faith. Help us turn our eyes towards you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many, of, how many of you remember the film Catch Me If You Can? No? Yeah? It's like, great, great film. Uh, it's so good. It's a fascinating tale of a story, true story, of a guy by the name of Frank Abagnale, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, this character, Frank, just as a kid, like 20-something, uh, is a skilled forger who passes himself off as a doctor, a lawyer, and a, an airline pilot. I can imagine trying to fake being a lawyer. I'm not so sure about an airline pilot or a doctor. Um, but he does this. He pretends. He fakes his credentials. And uh, I, I got to tell you that the airline pilot thing kind of freaks me out. I'm already a little bit afraid of flying. I do it a lot. But every time, I kid you not, as we're just on the runway ready to go, ready to have that burst of power take you up, I pray. <laughs> I get my affairs in order. God, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> I'm ready to meet you. <laughs> it just seems to be a miracle to me that this like, building-like thing, like this big tube, can actually take flight. Anyone else, the miracle of that, it's just unbelievable, right? But one of the reasons I can get past my fear of flying is I trust the pilot. <laughs> I really do. They apparently get a, an extensive amount of training. They hold them to the highest standards. I don't think there are many people pretending with fake credentials in the real world of flying. I hope not anyway. And you hear of pilots like Sully Sullenberger. Do you remember him? 
who amazingly, because of his extensive training, was able to land a, an airplane full of people on a river and not have it sink, or not have any loss of life. It's still sunk. That wasn't his lane. <laughs> but it's an important question. Can I trust the pilot? Because we all live on this spinning orb that is whirling around the sun. And every day when people wake up, the, the main question is, is there somebody piloting this thing? And can that somebody be trusted? Are there competence and character such that I can, with confidence, place my future and place my destiny in their hands? That requires faith. And faith is intimately connected to risk. There can be no faith without risk. And risk is intimately connected to fear. So there can be no fear, with, no faith without fear, and sometimes failure. That brings us to the story of Peter in the boat. According to verse 24 of our text, a storm comes along so rough that the disciples can't make it across the Sea of Galilee. It says the waves and wind were against them. And these are professional sailors. Verse 25 tells us that Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, which is something like between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Let me ask you, any of you at your best at 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning? Not so much. And so picture in your mind the size of the waves, the power of the wind, the, the, the sheer darkness of the night. Picture this, this little boat that's struggling to keep itself afloat, to, to not be capsized. Matthew says they were tormented. The boat was tormented by the waves. That's the word he uses in Greek. So cold, wet, exhausted, terrified. These are the conditions under which Peter is going to get out of the boat. Now, I don't know much about boats. Um, as you might imagine, there's not much time in the life of a diligent pastor to be lounging around boats and things like that. <laughs> but I suspect it would be difficult to get out of, out of a boat enough, difficult enough, when things were calm and it was daylight and I was awake. <laughs> that would take about as much courage as the average person could muster. Imagine doing that when the waves are crashing, the wind is in gale force, and it's like three in the morning, and the night is black. And Peter goes out, and he, he falls. He doesn't make it. It's a story of failure, right? Or is it? Uh, <clears throat> raise your hand if you've ever failed a test, or if you've ever been cut from a team, or if you ever didn't get a job or promotion that you really, really wanted, or if you've ever been impatient with a three-year-old, <laughs> if you've ever said anything, said the wrong thing, or maybe eaten with the wrong fork, or if you've experienced failure of any kind, I think we all could raise our hands. <clears throat> all of us would be, would be water walkers. And, and I don't think God intended for human beings, his children, created in his image, to live their lives with, with kind of avoidance of failure of, as being the kind of primary goal. Now, the boat is safe. The, for the most part, the boat is secure and the boat is comfortable. But outside the boat, the water's high, 
the, the waves are, are rough, the wind's strong, the night's dark, a storm is out there, and if you get out of the boat, <clears throat> you might sink. Babe. Babe. That's from another film. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> Babe. <clears throat> Where were we? But if you don't get out of your boat, if you don't leave your boat, you'll never walk. Because as John Orprick says in the title of his great book, if you don't get out of the boat, you can't walk on water. You have to, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. And here's the thing. There's, there's something or someone inside each of us that tells us our lives are more than just sitting in boats. <laughs> something that wants within us to, to walk on the water. Someone who calls us to leave the routine of our comfortable existence and abandon ourselves in the adventure of following Jesus. So Jesus comes to his disciples walking on the water. That's what it says, out to them walking on the lake. In fact, you cannot translate walking on the water any other way. It's on, upon, or on top of. It's not like Jesus was like walking on a sandbar or was skating across the ice. And this is no small thing. In the Old Testament, only God could walk on water. The last boat and storm story we read about earlier in Matthew, Jesus woke up, or he was awakened in the boat with his disciples, stormy boat, and Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to obey him. And they do. And here he is again, blowing his disciples' minds and reinforcing who he is, his true identity. The disciples see him walking on the lake and they're terrified. Jesus says, have no fear, it's me. By the way, some scholars suggest that this may be one of the most important sentences in, in the Gospel of Matthew according to Matthew. It would seem to be no accident that, that these words, this line, I'm here, no fear, occupies the very center of the book of Matthew. It's actually the very center sentence of the book. And his words are literally, I am no fear. Sounds like a t-shirt slogan, I am no fear. But it's packed with meaning. You see, when Moses asked to know God's name, God's response was, I am who I am. If God has a name, it can be summed up as, I am. He tells Moses in the same breath, this is my name forever. And standing on the waves amidst the blowing of the wind, Jesus identifies himself by that same name. By the way, anyone actually walking on water or, or rising from the dead, for that matter, I think we should listen to what they say. He says, you can trust me. You can trust my character, my confidence. You can safely, without reservation, without hesitation, place your life in my hands. You have this storm, you have me. Recognize which is more powerful. So Peter says, all right, Lord, if it's really you, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, all right, Peter, get out of the boat. And Peter does. Peter lifts one leg and he steps out onto the water, and then he lifts another leg and he steps out again onto the water, and he turns and he takes a step towards Jesus. He's standing there. 
And for the first time in the history of the human race, an ordinary mortal man is walking on the water. And, and for just a moment, it's just Peter and Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Peter realizes just what he is doing. He, he sees the waves. He feels the splash of the water, and his faith gives away. He's afraid again, and, and he begins to sink. Question. Did Peter fail? Peter, this text I actually believe radically redefines failure in the life of a follower of Jesus. Failure is not so much an event, it's actually how we perceive or see that event or judge it. It's kind of a label that we attach to it. Jonas Salk attempted 200 unsuccessful vaccines for polio before he came up with one that worked. And somebody said to Jonas, they said, how did it feel to fail 200 times inventing the vaccine for polio? This was his response. He said, I never failed 200 times at anything in my life. My family taught me to never use that word. I simply discovered 200 ways how not to make a vaccine for polio. <laughs> somebody asked Winston Churchill, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? Remember, for a period of time, Great Britain stood virtually alone against Nazi, Nazi Germany as it dominated the Western world. This was Churchill's response. It was the time I repeated a class in grade school. The questioner said, you, you mean you flunked a grade in school? And Churchill said, I never flunked anything in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. Did Peter fail? Yes, in one sense. His, his faith gave way. He couldn't stay locked onto Jesus. He sank. He failed. But there were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat. They failed privately. They failed quietly. Their failure was safe, unnoticed, uncriticized. Only, only Peter experienced the, the shame of public failure. But let me say this, only Peter experienced the glory of walking on water. How cool is that? And only Peter knew in a, in a way that others wouldn't, that, that when he sank, Jesus would be there. He knew Jesus is wholly adequate to save. Peter had a shared moment, a connection that, that nobody else could have. They, they couldn't have because he got out of the boat. Perhaps you're wondering this morning what it means to get out of the boat. It sounds exciting, you're, you're for it, you know, but you're kind of wondering, what do you do? Well, at the heart of it is the choice to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus. A, a disciple is not simply someone who believes certain things in order to get to heaven when they die. A disciple is someone who says, it is my ultimate goal to live in, in such a way as if Jesus were living here in my body. And to not have that goal, to not have that as your ultimate goal, is to not be a disciple. Pastor John Mark Comer describes discipleship in kind of three simple ways. He says it like this. He says it's to be with Jesus. It's to, to be like Jesus. And to do what Jesus would do if he were me. <laughs> I like that. And here's the thing you're not likely to drift into discipleship. 
You have to choose. The next step after that will look different for all people because we're all different and we have different next steps to take. We need to learn different things. I think of a seamstress, a member of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, a devoted Christ follower who believed that Jesus had something to teach the world about community and justice and and love. And one morning in December of 1955, a bus driver told her to vacate her seat and move to the back of the bus because she was African-American and she needed to make way for a white person who needed their seat. In one of the most courageous moments, courageous choices of the 20th century, she refused to move. She did not move. And she started a revolution. The next Monday night, 10,000 followers of Jesus gathered at her church to pray and ask God, what do we do next? Because of that choice, a revolution started that was not easy. It had a high cost. Many were beaten. Many were imprisoned. Some even died. But it changed the conscience of a nation. Didn't change enough, but it changed it. All because of a mild-mannered, soft-spoken, Christ-following seamstress who got out of the boat. This brings us to an aspect of discipleship to Jesus that a lot of us don't like. I don't like it myself. A commitment to following Jesus is a commitment to the constant reoccurrence of the experience of fear. It'll happen, folks, over and over again. And I preach and say a lot that God's most common command to us in Scripture is do not fear. But for a follower of Jesus, I certainly have experienced it a lot. It's interesting, in our text, Jesus commands the disciples to get out of the boat, and they do. And a storm comes, and what happens? They're afraid. And Jesus comes to them on the sea, and when they see Jesus, what happens? It says they're terrified. Jesus says, take heart, don't be terrified, don't be afraid. And Peter asks what he's supposed to do, and Jesus tells him to take the next step, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks and then sinks, and what does he experience? He says he was terrified, more fear. But Jesus rescues him. And that's not the last time that Peter's going to need to be rescued by Jesus or told not to fear. To, to be a disciple is to be a learner or a student. It's to choose to grow in Christ, and growth means entering new territory. It means getting out of the boat. And every time you get out of the boat, you are going to experience fear. Here's the amazing thing about discipleship. Fear will just never go away. Every time you get out of the boat, every time you enter into a a, a new challenge area, you experience fear. You could say discipleship is always a choice between comfort and fear. To be a disciple in some senses is to renounce comfort. Now, that's bad news for many of us because our society is big time into comfort. You might call comfort kind of our besetting sin or our love of comfort. We like to come home and and say, I just want to veg out. I just want to chill. And a lot of us do that. We just kind of like turn on some kind of version of a screen in our homes. And people who do that, what do we call them? Couch potatoes, right? You ever had a meal of couch potato, not tasty at all. But, but couch potato life is not really a good model for discipleship. 
The 11 other disciples were what you might call boat potatoes. <laughs> you know, they didn't want to risk. They didn't want to experience discomfort or fear. Let me say this. Even, even church can kind of become this for people. It can, it can be a place where, where faith can become kind of like just spiritual padding for some that will add comfort to their lives. It could become like a really nice and comfy boat. I feel good when I go to church. <laughs> we just add that to our experience. And for some of us, maybe we can remember a time when we stepped out and followed Jesus out of the boat on a regular basis. Jesus, just give me the word and I'll come. I'll do it. I'll go. But maybe we've kind of just settled a little bit and gotten comfortable just chilling in the boat now. Maybe you're, the, you're afraid. Often, I know that feeling, because often over the years, as a disciple, I've often had Jesus invite me into something, into some kind of assignment, adventure, um, or, or maybe just a character area that he's working on in me. And uh, you know what happens? It's, it, this happened to me a, a while ago. And sometimes at the idea stage, you're talking with friends, and you get this idea, this, this maybe God thing, this thing of, like you could do good in the world, whatever it might be, this idea. And it's really exciting at the idea stage. And then at like 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm lying awake looking at the ceiling, right? Anybody have those 4 o'clock in the morning moments? And this happened to me a while back, and I'm there at 4 in the morning kind of thinking of this idea, this thing, area where Jesus is leading, and I'm honestly worrying and stewing over it. And I woke up that, just a while back, and I woke up that morning, I was kind of going, what is it about that? What am I really afraid of? And you know, it wasn't like a survival thing. I wasn't afraid that my family wasn't going to make it or that, you know, that this was going to have financial ramifications or, or anything like that. You know, when I think about it, when I, when I actually wrestled with it, my fear, to be quite honest, was about failure. <laughs> like, as in, what if the people who I'm close to, the people most important to me, see me fail? I didn't like seeing that in myself. Getting out of the boat for me was not just about following Jesus into some adventure. It was also dying to this crazy obsession of needing to appear successful. You know, sometimes I stay in the boat, quite frankly, because it's easier to, to manage people's impression of me <laughs> and to not fail, to avoid failing. But also sometimes I want to get out of the boat to impress people who are in the boat. And that's, that's kind of crazy-making too, isn't it? It's not what water walking is about. Walking on the water is about coming to Jesus, and if you try it, you may sink. But I have a secret for you. It does not matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus is capable to save sinking people. You know, Peter gets out of the boat. He suddenly notices the wind. He gets frightened, and he begins to seek it's to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. It's a, a confession of the lordship of Jesus and also a cry for deliverance. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and, and catches him and, and saves him, caught, caught, catches him. The point is, is that not that Jesus will always instantly bail people out. It's that Jesus is always ready to respond. There's... Get this, folks. There is no failure that can place you beyond the loving hand of God. Let me say that again. 
There is no failure. There's no way that you can mess up that will put you beyond the loving hand of God. Jesus is adequate to save sinking people. And as a result of, of Peter having gotten out of the boat, and as a result of his failure and the redeeming hand of Jesus, those in the boat worshipped Christ. And when people got out of the boat, the power of God is put into play, and remarkable things happen. It's simply true. We occasionally get glimpses, even in our community, of people who step out and actually walk on water. I think of uh, a number of years ago when our church felt led to, to go to Kenya and be involved and sponsor and work with a couple villages in Kenya. And, and our, our goal was to see them go from real poverty to experiencing things like cl clean water and education and medicine. Interesting, the, the year that we decided to do this, we were preparing a team to go, our first team. And at that very same time, Kenya, which was a very stable country up to that point, that year, there were terror attacks in Kenya, and, and Kenya went from being a country that was one of the safest places in Africa to go to one of the more dangerous places in Africa to go. And, and it suddenly became risky for us. It suddenly became even more so stepping out of the boat. But I, I want to tell you, we did, in spite of our fears, we stepped out, and God blessed that project in ways that would be hard to explain in a couple of hours. Just the kind of amazing God stories over those next 10 years were out of this world. Seven years ago, our 20th anniversary as a church, we decided to step out locally. And, and we decided to kind of change our, our thinking around caring for our neighborhood. And, and we started praying about what that might look like. And, it, and actually how God led us was we had some money, and we decided we we're going to invest in some organizations. And for us, it was risky because we decided to not just invest in Christian organizations. We actually began partnering with local schools, and we began nurturing a, a relationship with share uh, family and, and, and society. And, and un unbelievable. It felt risky at the time, folks, from a leadership perspective. And we got some pushback from people saying, why aren't we you know, serving this organization. They're, they're Christians. They believe what we believe. And we felt called to the schools. And, and yesterday, folks, as, as I stood looking around this room and heard some of the stories, as I, I heard about uh, the story from an, a new Canadian. She's been in Canada. Her family, they came, came as refugees. They've been here for two months. And she talked about how yesterday, them being enfolded and embraced like they were yesterday, just she was sharing this as tears are rolling down her face of how God touched her yesterday by simply our care for her, for them, care for them and her family. That's a little bit like walking on water, folks. That's what it feels like to me. When people get out of the boat, amazing things happen. And I want to say this. What if everybody here said, I want to get out of the boat? What if everybody in this room said, Jesus, command me. I'm yours, I'll do what you want me to do, I'll go where you want me to go. Can you imagine the kind of power of God that would be released in our community, in our church, in our, in our world? Jesus is still looking for people to get out of the boat. If you go, you'll face problems. <laughs> There's a storm out there. <laughs> the wind will be against you. Your faith will not be perfect, 
and you will sink. But I know two other things. I know that when you fail, and you will fail, Jesus will be there, and he will pick you up, and he will not leave you alone. And I know that every once in a while, friends, you're going to walk on water. Why don't we pray? Jesus, I prayed at the beginning that we might hear your invitation. And I believe you're inviting different ones. They're in different seasons of their lives right now, and you're inviting them to actually step out, to, to actually put their trust in the pilot. <laughs> to actually say they're going to commit themselves to following you, to stepping out and doing that. For some, it might be that the choice to become a disciple of Jesus for the very first time to become one of his followers. And, you, and folks, you can just, this is something you can start today. It's a journey of trusting that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the perfect friend, that he's God, someone who you can wholly trust. Simply a matter of becoming a, a Christ follower and apprentice is literally putting your life in his hands and beginning to follow his lead. For some, it might be the choice, again, to renounce comfort as kind of the default position of their lives and say, Jesus, I again want to follow you wherever you lead. Jesus, make me willing. Make us willing, God. Help us to step out and go where you want us to go. Perhaps some of you have kind of a crippling fear of failure. You're scared of what following Jesus might look like in your life. And yet you hear the whisper of Jesus to come. And Jesus says, there's no failure that can put you beyond my reach. And so Jesus, help us to trust you. That we might not be so afraid that we actually aren't willing to risk and have faith. God, we give you our fears this morning. Help us to hear the words of Jesus. To step out into his way of life and to go where he wants us to go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.